Hey, Drunk Mythology friends. I'm Kate. And I'm Other Jen. And oh, and I'm Kim. And hey. we're the... Dracula gals. Gals. Holy shit, that was that was tricky. We're decompensating. <laughs> Ooh. Kim is Honestly, giving after, me a run for my money there. <laughs> Honestly, after like everything that Van Helsing is doing, yeah, decompensating is the word. <laughs> <laughs> and this is chapter 16 of Brom Stroker's always and forever, Dracula, celebrating the month of Drunk Dracula Gals, also called October, also called... Is it too late to switch it over to Vapetober? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting twist. Yeah. You know, we could do Vapevember. Oh, oh, I like that. Yeah. You are, you know what? You're the idea, man. Uh, yeah. Old marketing girls never die. They just go right. on the podcast. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, so... I just poured vodka right before we hit record, so I'm sticking with Drunktober. There so. we go. I respect <clears throat> that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's go ahead. Back to England. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay! Yeah, it's the time. Recap! <laughs> That's right. And here we go with the recap for Chapter 15. I am totally convinced that Van Helsing is trying to start a cult because this, this is how you convince people to do terrible shit. Dr. Seward is really, really trying to stay on track with logical explanations. Bless his heart. Especially Did you think he turned out to be like the rational one of this group? <laughs> <laughs> the bar is so low, you can't even limbo. <laughs> right. Especially because the basic explanations that Van Helsing starts to give, and only because he suggests they have a little field trip to the graveyard, open Lucy's coffin, and then tells him they're going to have to cut off her head and stuff it with garlic. You know, your usual friend. Friday night are somehow still not helpful. Jen, are you feeling triggered yet? But so very. <laughs> but somehow Van Helsing uses all his annoying words to avoid being beaten to a pulp by Seward, Lord Saltine Cracker, and Quincy Morris, Team Quincy, when he suggests they all go to the graveyard and check in on Lucy to see how she's doing. Hint, she's not doing well. Anyway, carry on. Okay, starting with unlikely voice of reason, Dr. Seward and his diary. <laughs> It was just a quarter before 12 when we got into the churchyard over the low wall. The night was... Why do they even have a gate on this churchyard? There's so much action. It's like Grand Central, it's like Grand Central Station. Yeah. The night was dark with the occasional gleams of moonlight between the rents of the heavy clouds that scudded across the sky. We all kept somehow close together, with Van Helsing slightly in front as he led the way. When we had come close to the tomb, I looked well at Arthur, for I feared that proximity to a place laden with so sorrowful a memory would upset him, but he bore himself well. I took it that the very mystery of the proceeding was in some way a counteractant to his grief. Not for long! <laughs> the professor unlocked, spoilers, the professor unlocked the door, and seeing a natural hesitation among us for various reasons, I think it's mostly the same reason, uh, <laughs> solved the difficulty by entering first himself. Oh, really? For, for a change? For a change. <laughs> the rest of us followed, and he closed the door. Then he lit a dark lantern and pointed to the coffin. Arthur stepped forward hesitatingly. Van Halen, Van Halen. <laughs> Van Halen said to me, might as well jump. Van Helsing said to me, You were with me uh, yesterday. Was the body of Miss Lucy in that coffin? It was. The professor turned to the rest, saying, You hear? And yet there is no one who does not believe with me. 
He took a screwdriver and again took off the lid of the coffin. Arthur looked on, very pale, but silent. When the lid was removed, he stepped forward. He evidently did not know that it was a leaden coffin, or at any rate, he had not thought of it, because I hadn't. When he saw the rent in the lead, the blood rushed to his face for an instant, but as quickly fell away again, so that he remained of a ghastly whiteness. He was still silent. Van Helsing forced back the leaden flange, and we all looked in and recoiled. Any guesses? You're all wrong. The coffin was empty. No! For several minutes, no one spoke a word. The silence was broken by Quincy Morris. Uh, Professor, I answered for you. Your word is all I want. I I wouldn't ask such a thing ordinarily. I wouldn't so dishonor you as to imply a doubt. But uh, this is a mystery that goes beyond any honor or dishonor. Is this your doing? I swear to you by all that I hold sacred that I have not removed, not touched her. Okay. Mm. What happened was this. Two nights ago, my friend Seward and I came here with good oh, purpose. Hey, leave me out of it, buddy. <laughs> with good purpose, believe me. I opened that coffin, which was then sealed up, and we found it as now empty. When we waited and then saw something white come through the trees, the next day we come in here daytime and she lay there. Did she not, friend Jean? <coughs> yes. <laughs> that night we were just in time. One more so, more so small child was missing and we find it, thank God, unarmed amongst the graves. Yesterday I came here before sundown for at sundown the undead can move. I waited here all the night till the sun rose but I saw nothing. It was most probable that it was because I had laid over the clamps of the doors garlic which the undead cannot bear and the other things which they shun. Last night, there was no exodus, so tonight, before the sundown, I took away my garlic and other things, and so it is we find this coffin empty. But bear with me. So far, there is much that is strange. Wait with you, wait you with me outside, unseen and unheard, and things much stranger yet are to be. <laughs> I can't wait. Here he shut the dark last slide of his lantern. So now to the outside. Quick, he opened outside. the door. He opened the door and we filed out, he coming last and locking the door behind him. Oh, but it seemed fresh and pure the night air after the terror of that vault. How sweet it was to see clouds race by and passing gleams of the moonlight between the scudding clouds crossing and passing, like the gladness and sorrow of a man's life. How sweet it was to... (laughs) Fine time for all philosophizing, ladies and gentlemen. How sweet it was to breathe the fresh air that had no taint of death and decay. How humanizing to see the red light of the sky beyond the hill and hear far away the muffled roar that marks the life of a great city. Each in his own way was solemn and overcome. Arthur was silent and was, I could see, striving to grasp the purpose and the inner meaning of the mystery. Think. I must think. Think, think, think. Arthur. <laughs> I was myself tolerably patient and half inclined again to throw aside doubt and to accept Van Helsing's conclusions. Quincy Morris was phlegmatic in the way of a man who accepts all things and accepts them in the spirit of cool bravery with hazards of all he has to stake. Not being able to smoke, he cut himself a good-sized plug of tobacco and began to chew. May I just say, 
<laughs> As to Van Helsing, he was employed in a definite way. First, he took from his bag a mass of what looked like thin, wafer-like biscuits, which he carefully rolled up in a white napkin. Next, he took out a double handful of some whitish stuff, like dough or putty. He crumbled the wafer up fine and worked it into the mass between his hands. Then, he, this he then took, and rolling it into thin strips, began to lay them into the crevices between the door and its setting in the tomb. I was somewhat puzzled at this, and being close, asked him what he was doing. Arthur and Quincy drew also near, and they too were curious. He answered- Talking at this hour? <laughs> I thought he was I, making garlic pizza. <laughs> yeah. Breadsticks, really. I'm closing the tomb so that the undead may not enter. And uh, is that stuff you have put there going to do it? Great, Ask. Scott. Is this a game? It is. Ha ha. <laughs> what is that which you are using? This time the question was by Arthur. Van Helsing reverently lifted his hat as he answered. The host. I have brought it from Amsterdam. I have an indulgence. Straight from the Pope. <laughs> it was an answer that appalled the most skeptical of us, and we felt individually that in the presence of such earnest purpose as the professors, a purpose which could thus use the, to him, most sacred of things, it was impossible to distrust. Cult. In the respectful <laughs> silence, we took the places assigned to us close round the tomb, but hidden from the sight of any other were on one approaching. I pitied the others, especially Arthur. I have had myself been apprenticed by my former visits to this watching horror, and yet I, who had up until an hour ago repudiated the proofs, felt my heart sink within me. Never did tombs look so ghastly white. Never did cypress or yew or juniper seem the way in, in a bottom into funereal, funereal gloom. Never did trees or grass wave or rustle so ominously. Never did bough creak so mysteriously. And never did the faraway howling of dogs such sudden such a woeful presage through the night. Oh! <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there was a long spell of silence, a big aching void. Don't talk about me like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the professor from the professor Akeen it's the tea on this <laughs> you've loaded the dishwasher incorrectly we pointed and far down the avenue of yews we saw a white figure advance a dim white figure which held something dark at its breast the figure stopped and at the moment a ray of moonlight fell upon the masses of driving clouds and showed in startling prominence a dark-haired woman dressed in the cerements of the grave. We could not see the face for it was bent down over we, we sought to be a fair-haired child. There was a pause and a sharp little cry as a child gives in sleep or a dog as it lies before the fire and dreams. We were starting. <laughs> Thank you to our Foley artist. <laughs> we were starting forward, but the professor's warning hand, seen by us as he stood behind a yew tree, kept us back. And then, then as we looked at the white figure moving forward again, it was now near enough for us to see clearly, and the moonlight still held. My own heart grew cold as ice, and I could hear the gasp of Arthur <gasps> as we... As we, <laughs> what can I write? As we recognize the features of Lucy Westenroth. <laughs> Lucy Westenroth, but yet somehow changed. The sweetness was turned to adamantine, heartless cruelty, and the purity to voluptuous wantonness. Don't Van Helsing me. stepped out, and obedient to his gesture, we all advanced too. The four of us ranged in a line before the door of the tomb. Van Helsing raised his lantern and drew the slide. By the concentrated light that fell on Lucy's face, we could see that the lips were crimson with fresh blood and that the stream had trickled over her chin and stained the purity of her long death robe. We shudder with horror. <laughs> Sorry, I he could... noticed the 
the the fabric her death robe was made of. He probably paid for it. Oh, (laughs) damn. (laughs) We shuddered with horror. I could see by the tremulous light that even Van Helsing's iron nerve had failed. Arthur was next to me, and if I had not seized his arm and held him up, he would have fallen. When Lucy, I call the thing that was before us Lucy because it bore her shape, saw us, she drew back with an angry snarl, such as a cat gives when taken unawares. Thank you. Then her eyes ranged over us. Lucy's eyes in form and color, but Lucy's eyes unclean and full of hellfire instead of the pure gentle orbs that we knew. God damn it, he uses the word orbs. Where is his editor? At that moment, you're asking for an editor now? At that moment, remnant of my love passed into hate and loathing. Had she then to be killed, I could have done it with savage delight. As she looked, her eyes blazed with unholy light, and the face became wreathed with a voluptuous smile. Oh, God, how it made me shudder to see it. With a careless motion, she flung to the ground, callous as a devil, the child that up until now she had clutched strenuously to her breast, growling over it as a dog growls over a bone. (laughs) You know me so well. The child gave a sharp (laughs) cry and lay there moaning. There was a cold-bloodedness in the act which wrung a groan from Arthur. When she advanced to him with outstretched arms and a wanton smile, he fell back and hid his face. She still advanced, however, and with languorous, voluptuous grace said, Come to me, Arthur. Leave these others and come to me. My arms are hungry for you. Come, and we can rest together. Come, my husband, come. There was something diabolically sweet in her tone, something of the tingling of glass when struck, which rang through the brains, even of us who heard the words addressed to another. As for Arthur, he seemed under a spell. Moving his hands from his face, he opened wide his arms. She was leaping. Hang on. Yikes. She was leaping for them when Van Helsing sprang forward and held between them his little golden crucifix. She she recoiled (laughs) from it and with a sudden distorted face full of rage dashed past him as if to enter the tomb. When within a foot or two of the door, however, she stopped as if arrested by some irresistible force. Then she turned and her face was shown in the clear burst of moonlight and by the lamp, which now had no quiver from Van Helsing's iron nerves. Never did I see such baffled malice on a face and never, I trust, shall I ever be such seen again by mortal eyes. The beautiful color became livid. The eyes seemed to throw out sparks of hellfire. The brow were wrinkled as though folds of flesh were the coils of Medusa's snakes, and the lovely bloodstained <laughs> mouth grew to an open square, as in the passion masks of the Greeks and Japanese. If ever a face met death, if looks could kill, we saw it. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up for us. Right. <laughs> we saw it at that moment. And so for a full half minute, which seemed an eternity, she remained between the lifted crucifix and the sacred closing of her means of entry. Van Helsing broke the silence by asking Arthur, Answer me, my friend. Am I to proceed in my work? Arthur threw himself on his knees and hid his face in his hands as he answered, Do as you will, friend. Do as you will. There can be no horror like this ever anymore. And he groaned in spirit. Quincy and I simultaneously moved toward him and took his arms. We could hear the clink of the closing lantern as Van Helsing held it down. Coming close to the tomb, he began to remove from the chinks some of the sacred emblem which he had placed there. 
We all looked on in horrified amazement as we saw, where he stood back, the woman, with a corporeal body as real as that moment as our own, passed through the interstice where scarce a knife blade could have gone. We all felt a glad sense of relief when we saw the professor calmly restoring the strings of putty to the edges of the door. When this was done, he lifted the child and said, Well, finally somebody's paying attention to the child, right? <laughs> Come now, my friends. Uh, by the way, she did it with mirrors. We can do no more till tomorrow. <laughs> there is a funeral at noon, so she will. So we shall all come before long after that. Uh, that makes no sense. The friends of the dead will be gone by two, and when the sexton locks the gate, we shall remain. Then there is more to do, but not like this of tonight. As for this little one, he is not much harm, and by tomorrow night he shall be well. We shall leave him where the police will find him, as on the other night, and then to home. Coming close to Arthur, he said. My friend Arthur, you have had a sore trial, but after, when you look back, you will see how it was necessary. You are now in the bitter waters, my child. By this time tomorrow, you will, please God, have passed them and have drunk of the sweet waters. So do not mourn over much, huh? Then I shall not ask you to forgive me. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a pretty big ask, pal. Right? <laughs> Arthur and Quincy came home with me, and we tried to cheer each other on the way. Okay. We had left the child in safety, and we were tired, so we all slept with more or less reality of sleep. 29 September. Night. A little before 12 o'clock, we three, Arthur, Quincy Morris, and myself, called for the professor. It was odd to notice that by common consent, we all had put on black clothes. Oh my of God, course. Samesies. Of course, Arthur wore black, for he was in deep mourning, but the rest of us wore it by instinct. We got to the churchyard half past one and strolled about, keeping out of the official observation, so that when the grave diggers, diggers had completed their task, and the sexton, under the belief that everyone had gone, had locked the gate, we had the place all to ourselves. Van Helsing, instead of his little black bag, had with him a long leather one, some, something like a cricketing bag. It was manifestly a fair weight. When we were alone and heard the last of the footsteps die up, out up on the road, we silently, and if by ordered intention, followed the professor to the tomb. He unlocked the door, and we entered, closing it behind us. Then he took from his bag the lantern, which he lit, and also two wax candles, which, when lighted, he struck by melting their own ends on other coffins, so that might, they might give light sufficiently to work by. When he again lifted the lid of Lucy's coffin, we all looked. Arthur trembling like an aspen, and saw that the body lay there in all its death beauty. But there was no love in my own heart, nothing but loathing for the foul thing which had overtaken Lucy's shape without her soul. I could even see Arthur's face grow hard as he looked. Presently, he said to Van Helsing, Is this really Lucy's body, or only a demon in her shape? Yeah, it is her body, and yet not it. Yeah? Typical. But wait a while, and you shall all see her as she was and is. She seemed like a nightmare of Lucy as she lay there, the pointed teeth, the blood-stained voluptuous mouth, which made one shudder to see, the whole carnal and unspiritual appearance, seeming like a devilish mockery of Lucy's sweet purity. Van Helsing, with his usual methodicalness, began taking the various contents from his bag and placing them ready for use. First, he took out a soldering iron and some plumbing solder and then a small oil lamp. They're going to, like, drop the transmission? And what are they going to do? <laughs> right? <laughs> which, 
which gave out when lit in a corner of the tomb gas, which burned at a fierce heat with a blue flame, then his operating knives, which he placed to hand, and last a round wooden stake, some two and a half or three inches thick and about three feet long. One end of it was hardened by charring in the fire and was sharpened to a fine point. With this stake came a heavy hammer, such as used in household is used in the coal cellar for breaking the lumps. To me, a doctor preparation for work of any kind are stimulating and bracing, but the effects yeah. of these things on both Arthur and Quincy, for some <laughs> unknown reason, was to cause them a sort of consternation. <laughs> it's a mystery. They both, however, kept their courage and remained silent and quiet. When all was ready, Van Helsing said, I am like the Boy Scout, always prepared. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyway, before we do anything, let me tell you this. It is out of the lore and experience of the ancients and of all those who have studied the powers of the undead. When they become such, there comes with the change the course of immortality. They cannot die, but must go on age after age, adding new victims and multiplying the evils of the world. For all that die from the praying of the undead become undead themselves and prey upon their kind. And so the circle goes on, ever widening, like as the ripples from a stone thrown in the water. So vampirism is basically a Ponzi scheme? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Apparently. Yeah, the SEC is totally on it. <laughs> uh, friend Arthur, if you had met that kiss which you know of, uh, if you had met that kiss which you know of before poor Lucy died, or again last night when you opened your arms to her, you would in time, when you had died, have become the Nosferatu, dun, dun, dun. as they call it in Eastern Europe, and would all time make more of those undead uh, that so have filled us with horror. The career of this so unhappy dear lady is but just begun. Those children whose blood she suck are not yet so much the worse, but if she live on undead, more and more they lose their blood and by her power over them, they come to her. And so she draws her blood with that so wicked mouth. <laughs> oh but she, if she die in truth, then all cease. The tiny wounds on the throats will disappear and they go back to their plays unknowing ever of what has been. But uh, of all, but of the most blessed of all, when this now undead be made to rest as true dead, then the soul of the poor lady whom we love shall be again free. Instead of working wickedness by night and growing more debased by assimilating of it by day, she shall take her place with the other angels. So that, my friend, it will be a blessed hand for her that shall strike the blow that sets her free. To this, I am willing. But is there none among... <laughs> but is there none amongst us who has a better right? Will it be no joy to think of hereafter in the silence of the night when sleep is not? It was my hand that sent her to the stars. It was the hand of him that loved her best. The hand that of all she would have herself have chosen had it been her to choose. Tell me if there be such a one amongst us. Really? As if our heads were all on swivels. Right? <laughs> Everyone takes all, one step back. <laughs> we all looked at Arthur. He saw yep. too what we all did, the infinite kindness which suggested that his that should be the hand which would restore Lucy to us as a holy and not an unholy memory. He stepped forward and said bravely, though his hand trembled and his face was pale as snow. My true friend, from the bottom of my broken heart, I thank you. Tell me what I am to do, and I shall not falter. Van Helsing laid a hand on his shoulder and said... 
Brave lad, a moment's courage, and it is done. The stake must be driven to her. It will be a fearful ordeal. Be not deceived in that, but it will only be for a short time, and you will then rejoice okay. more than your pain was great. Right. From this grim tomb, you will emerge as though you tread on air. I don't <laughs> think so. No. <laughs> but you must not, must not falter once you have begun. Only think that we, your true friends, are around you and that we pray for you all the time. Arthur responded hoarsely. Go on. Tell me what I am to do. Ah, so you take the stick in your left hand, ready to place the point over her heart and the hammer in your right. Then, when we begin our prayer for the dead, I shall read them. I have the book right here, and the other shall follow. Striking God's name, that so all may be well with the dead that we love and that the undead pass away. Huh? Yeah. Arthur took the stick and the hammer, <laughs> and when once his mind was set on action, his hands never trembled nor even quivered. Van Helsing opened his missile and began to read, and Quincy and I followed as well as we could. Arthur placed the point over her heart, and I looked as I could see its dint in the white flesh. Then he struck with all his might. The thing in the coffin writhed, and a hideous blood-curdling screech came from the open... How was that? <laughs> Uh, well, I've been struck deaf. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you. Damn! I was not expecting that. Moving Good on. Job. Good shrieking. <laughs> a hideous blood-curdling screech hopefully again won't come from the opened red lips. The body shook and quivered and twisted in wild contortions. The sharp white teeth chapped together till the lips were cut and the mouth was smeared with crimson foam, but Arthur never faltered. He looked like a figure of... Thor! Thor! As his oh untrembling God. arm rose and fell, driving deeper and deeper the mercy-bearing stake, whilst the blood from the pierced heart welled and spurted up around us. His face was set, and high duty seemed to shine through it. The sight of us gave courage, so that our voices seemed to ring through the little vault. And then the writhing and quivering of the body became less, and the teeth seemed to champ, and the face to quiver. Finally, it lay still. The terrible task was over. The hammer fell from Arthur's hand. I'm he, re <laughs> he reeled and would have fallen had we not called him. The great drops of sweat sprang from his forehead and his breath came in broken gasps. It had indeed been an awful strain on him and he had not been forced to his task by more than human considerations he never could have gone through with it. For a few minutes, we were so taken up with him that we did not look towards the coffin. When we did, however, a murmur of startled surprise ran from one to the other of us. We gazed so eagerly that Arthur rose, for he'd been seated on the ground, and came and looked too. Then a glad, strange light broke over his face and dispelled altogether the gloom of horror that lay upon it. There in the coffin lay no longer the foul thing that we'd so dreaded and grown to hate that the work of her destruction was yielded as a privilege to the one best <laughs> entitled to it. But Lucy, really? as we'd seen her in life, with the face of unequaled sweetness and purity. True that there were, as we had seen them in life, the traces of care and pain and waste, but these were all dear to us, for they marked her truth to what we knew. One and all, we felt the holy calm that lay like sunshine over the wasted face and form was only an earthly token and symbol of the calm that was to reign forever. Van Helsing came and laid his hand on Arthur's shoulder and said to him, And now, Arthur, my friend, dear lad, am I not forgiven? Oh my God, way to make it all about you, Van. <laughs> The reaction, of the, terrible, <laughs> the reaction of the terrible strain came as he took the old man's hand in his and raising it to his lips, pressed it and said, Forgiven. God bless you that you have 
given my dear one her soul again and me peace. Never mind that I'm the one who did all the work. He put his hands on the professor's shoulder and laying his head upon his breast, cried for a while silently, manly tears, whilst we stood unmoving. When he raised his head, Van Helsing said to him, And now, my child, you may kiss her. Ah, kiss her dead lips, if you will, as she would have you do, for if it, uh, if for her to choose. For she is not a grinning devil now, not any more a foul thing for all eternity. No longer she is the devil's undead. She is God's true dead, whose soul is with him. Arthur bent and kissed her, and then we sent him and Quincy out of the tomb. The professor and I sawed the top of the stake, leaving the point of it in the body. Then we cut off the head and filled the mouth with garlic. The end. (laughs) We soldered up the leaden coffin, screwed on the coffin lid, and gathered up our belongings, came away. When the professor locked the door, he gave the key to Arthur. Outside the air was sweet, the sun shone, and the birds sang, and it seemed as if all nature would turn to a different pitch. There was gladness and mirth and peace everywhere, for we were at rest ourselves on one account, and we were glad, though it was a tempered joy. Um, Thank you for mentioning that part. Before we moved away, Van Helsing said, Now, my friends... One step of our work is done, one the most arrowing to ourselves, but there remains a greater task, to find out the author of all this sorrow and to stamp him out. I have clues which we can follow, but it is a long task and a difficult, and there is danger in it and pain. Shall you not all help me? We have learned to believe, all of us, is it not so? And since so, do we not see our... Duty? (laughs) Yes, and do we not promise to go on to the bitter end? Each in turn we took his hand and promises were made. Then the professor said, as we moved off, Tonight, since you shall meet with me and dine together at seven of the clock with friend Jean. I shall entreat two others, too, that you know not as yet, and I shall be ready to tell... I shall be ready to all our work show and all our plans unfold. Okay. <laughs> He's making a spreadsheet, isn't he? <laughs> he is. <laughs> Friend John, you come with me home, for I have much to consult about, and you can help me. Tonight, I leave for Amsterdam, but shall return tomorrow night. And then begins our great quest. But first, I shall have much to say, oh, good. so that you may know <laughs> what is to do and to dread. Then our promise shall be made to each other anew, for there is a terrible task before us. And once our feet are set on the plowshare, we must not draw back. And once you've cut off a broad's head, stuffed garlic in her mouth, and shoved a stake through her heart, really, where else is there to go? So that's where we shall stop for the day. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I just need to point out, did anybody else catch that he described Lucy as dark-haired? Yes, I did notice that. Oh, I but did in not. all the other chapters- She was she, blonde. She was blonde. Oh, <gasps> A sunny cloud of yeah. her hair lay on the pillow. Yeah. I thought exactly the same thing. I didn't catch that. Because mm-hmm. people with dark hair are evil. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Oh. So my question is, uh, you know, after several seasons of watching Buffy, actually more than once, oh. uh, once the vampire takes over, you know, once you're in Lucy's condition, you're a vampire. Your soul is gone. So I wonder if they'd been as eager to save her in this manner if it wasn't actually sending her to like rest with the angels, but stop her from being a vampire. Well, I mean, they probably would have had to because they would have had to. Yeah, they were like super psyched about it when they were done. Yeah, I mean, if she had just crumbled to dust, or you know, 
not had like a reverse makeover. Right. Um, so that seems, it just seemed like a little bit of a loophole is all. Yeah. Like she wasn't completely a vampire. Hmm. I th- well, she hadn't taken her first life. That's true. That, that's, that's true. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That and we, we know her a young undead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And she sure should, could scream though. <laughs> Sorry. I, I gave you guys no warning that I was doing None. that. Oh my None. God. That was, that was. Yeah. I did, um, however, text the other people in my house to say, hey, uh, I'm about to give a really loud scream for the don't recording. Don't call 911. Yeah. <laughs> don't come rushing in the door. It's all for the recording. <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck are you recording? All right. Um, so what's coming up next? Well, also, I just wanted to point out, um, he made a mistake. Our feet are on the plowshare. Isn't it yes. your hand is on yeah. the plowshare? Unless you are, in fact, the oxen. Uh, oh, but even then, your feet aren't they don't on. stand on the plowshare. Yeah, yeah no. nobody stands okay. on a plowshare. It, clearly, yeah. trying to imply he couldn't. Graham was not well. a farmer. Uh, so tomorrow, the Harkers join the Scooby Gang. Oh, <laughs> oh everyone back. decides that Mina makes a decent Lu- Lucy substitute, and oh. without Van Helsing, the gang actually gets a little closer to actual answers. Go fucking figure. <laughs> Oh. Now that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. <laughs> and We're always looking forward to more Mina. <laughs> and I was informed by my husband that it's actually pronounced Patreon, not whatever I was saying before, at <laughs> patreon.com slash drunk mythology girls. That's right. Over on Patreon for the month of October, <laughs> we have Drunk Dracula Gals. For $1, you can get all of these episodes as soon as they're done producing, and you also get Which access. in some cases, makes it takes a little longer than others. <laughs> right. <laughs> Technical <laughs> difficulties, okay? We have challenges, but we get I blame through. myself. Anyway, we have a lot of other Lit Crit Hour episodes over there with lots of other entertainment. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Drunk Mythology Gals. That's right. And thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're trying to get you to join a cult by having you participate (laughs) in a truly terrible crime, especially making the richest one of you do it so you can you're like beholden to pay the bail of everybody else. <laughs> Finally, always remember, if the undead can behave badly or doctors from Amsterdam, then so can you. 